Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Did you bring your thinking caps? Because it's time to put them on. Because the conversation starts now. Welcome to On the Edge with April Honey Brains. This is the spot, the place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. And our guest today is Michelle Fournier. I'm Thank so you, April. Thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you, ladies and gentlemen and brains. <laughs> Let me tell you, this woman is at the top of her game. She's in nursing, former military. She's into coaching now and also using one of the greatest gifts there is, is neuro-linguistic programming. How do we talk to ourselves? What is the conversation that's rattling around in our heads? That's the most important conversation that you're going to have. You can't wait for outside influences. They'll trick you up. Okay. You have to know you. You have to be able to work with you, deal with you. You know, that's one of the challenges that people have with mental health is that they can't change that conversation that's going on. So we're going to talk to Michelle about that and a whole lot more. Welcome her to the show. How are you, Michelle Fontenay? Oh my gosh, I'm doing so great. Thank you, April. Sitting here in Denver in the middle of a snowstorm and just loving it. We're showing up anyway. Well, I tell you here in California, it is cold today. And when I talk about cold, you're going to laugh at me. I think it's like 46 degrees. Who does that? Oh, honey. <laughs> We're, we might get up to 10 today. It's all perspective, isn't it? It is. And it's the first world problem. So yeah. I am so glad to have you here on the edge. Please tell us how you show up in the world and a little bit about you. Yeah. So thank you so much. So today at the, at the, wise young age of 65, I show up in the world bold. I show up in the world fully as me. And that includes the brilliant moments and the not so brilliant moments. I wasn't always like that. I was, um, I'm the oldest of four, have three younger brothers. And when I was young, at the age of 10, my mother passed away. And my dad became the authority and the primary figure in my life. And I spent the best part of my life doing everything I thought I had to do so that I could get loved and approval. It didn't work so good until I started being me. And um, that ruffled some feathers, including my dad's. So that's what I'm all about now is helping people be authentically them so they can live a delicious life that's in alignment for them. And then that's what creates flow. Well, you're going to flow like a river into our heads because <laughs> a lot of people are, sp um, are spinning, mm -hmm. spinning their wheels, trying to figure out what an authentic self is. What is it to be true? Those are big $25 words. You know, they're yeah. ambiguous. They're different and they are a different niche for each individual person. Where do you start looking for you? How, how, do, how do we start finding ourselves? You know, that is such a great question, April. 
The first place is, first of all, to like, we all operate from our level of awareness. And I loved how you were talking about, you know, in my intro about being careful about other people influencing us. See, the problem is that if you're over two years old and listening to this recording today, it's (laughs) too late, right? Because way before we're two years old, the adults in our world pour into us. And so we take on their view of the world and it becomes literally hardwired. And so the first place to start is to first become aware that, hey, a lot of the majority of probably what I do, especially if it's on automatic right now, is influenced by other people. And having that awareness and then beginning to ask the question, is this really who I am and what I want to do? And a simple way of asking that or checking in is to say, right? Like when we get asked to do something, people pleasers out there, perfectionists, if you're stuck, if you're feeling like you're in a rut, if you will, or a routine that you're doing the same thing over and over again, you've been doing this for years and you're not happy, even though there's evidence of success in your life. So it's starting there, just acknowledging where you are without any judgment, without condemnation and without any hammers, like putting the freaking hammers away. I know, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's not tough for me. And I'll be honest with you, Brains, you can call it arrogant if you want, but I love the hell out of me. I really do. I tell myself that and I work on that, but that's a conscious effort. That doesn't mean that I, you know, uh, demean or diminish anybody else, but I hold myself in high regard. And that's a defense mechanism also, like you talked about the perfectionist. You know, perfection can also show up as insecurity. Oh, honey, perfection is insecurity. Here's the deal. Two things like, oh my gosh, I I remember my very first conversation with you when you started to tell me about yourself and you led with, I don't remember the exact words if it was, I'm an inspirational, award-winning, like what are we leading with? Right, exactly. Exactly. Thank you for that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And you, when people do their, that's funny that you say that too, because I was talking to someone, I was coaching someone about their 30 second elevator speech. And I was like, why do you have to start, you know, in the negative? I, you know, with the victim conversation, I am, you know, a drug addict. I am a prostitute. I am homeless. I am this. No, you tell people where you are right now, right in this very moment. And you are at that place as a result of what you've been through. But again, it's changing that conversation. Now, Michelle, you were a woman in the military. And uh, the first six weeks, you're trained to kill. Well, that that is what they do in basic training. I came in through ROTC. So I came in as an officer. And the entry level is a little bit different. Okay. And also, I was a critical care nurse. However... Ultimately, our mission is to protect our country. And sometimes that involves war. Sometimes that involves killing. And so even as a nurse, I was trained 
in how to use an M16, how to fire a nine millimeter weapon, how to defend a perimeter. I still, you know, as a critical care nurse and as I moved up in the ranks and had hospitals and our soldiers to protect, mm -hmm. we had to protect. You do, but you also saved lives. And yes. that can be the lives of the adversary. That could be the lives of the enemy. So there's a yes. conflict there. There's a struggle. And I don't mean that in a in a negative way. You know, I don't mean like you're, you know. Right going out to hunt people, yeah. but you have to really put a lot of your emotions aside and do the job, whichever job that is, if it's protection or if it's saving a life. Okay. So you're a woman in this space mm -hmm. and you know, we are hashtagged <laughs> soft. Uh, we just can't handle the battle. You are a woman of a particular age. When you went into the military, what sort of adversity did you run into and how did you overcome that? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting. Like when you're saying there was a conflict, it, the conflict is the same conflict that we have inside ourselves. Absolutely. It's the conversation that we have. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways, so when I'm working at a bedside, working to save lives, which I did as a nurse and I do as a coach now, it's the same thing. It's about looking at the other person. And this is the answer to the question you asked earlier about how do we begin to love ourselves, looking at the other person and looking at ourselves as the divine luminous white beings that we are. Mm. We're mm. not our behaviors. So, you know, and watching some of this now with the war in Ukraine and the bottom line is that every single soldier, if you will, every single person on this planet is somebody's son mm. or somebody's daughter or somebody's brother or sister or loved one. And so it's simply beginning to explore and being willing to practice loving other people, no matter what their behaviors show up as. And regardless of what their uniform is, whether it's in the military or as you were saying, the disqualifying things that we tell ourselves sometimes about, well, I'm a drug addict or I'm this, like, what are you- The label, right, the label. It's all labels. Mm -hmm. It's I, a it, container. It, People are living in this echo chamber of negativity. They're in this place yeah. and it just keeps reverberating over and over and over again. Well, I tell you, we have to break the cycle. So- yes. So there's a person out there that is uh, a young woman that is going to make the choice. Do I sign up and do I um, join the military? Put on your coach hat. What would you say to her? Well, the first thing I would ask, one, I don't have her answer, right? She's got her answer. And the opportunity is, what is it that you're looking for? Like, what is your why or your reason? And here's the deal. I am a perfect example of how God protects the innocent and the naive. I actually joined ROTC because of a cute guy named Kevin. And it was <laughs> simply, I've done a lot of things in my life because of cute guys. <laughs> you have lived, huh, Diva? <laughs> yes. And so here's the deal. It was an invitation. Kevin invited me to take an ROTC class. 
because of that ROTC class, I was able to apply and get a scholarship because my dad was not able to afford my college. Because of that, that invitation, I tried out and got a spot to the U.S. Army Airborne School. Now, I had no idea until I got there that I was going to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Mm, mm, mm. But I'd already said yes, and so I did it. And because of that, it helped me create confidence. Now, going into the military, I've had a lot of people tell me, well, Michelle, you're the way you are because you were in the Army. And I'm going to dispel that. You see, I went into the Army because the Army was a good fit for me at that time in my life. I needed structure. I needed an avenue so that I could go to college, get a career. And I also needed someone to tell me what to do at the time. So even though I was an officer, there was a clear structure of accountability, of direction when I walked in. And so the military isn't for everybody. However, for somebody who might be thinking about going in the military, don't discount it based on what you think it is from some story that you've heard because you're making it up. It, right. it was an amazing opportunity. I became a, um, I got my master's degree, my graduate degree from being in the military. I learned confidence. I learned leadership. I got to demonstrate my abilities at high levels and I got to travel the world and meet amazing people. Well, that is the recipe for success. A lot of uh, young people don't want the discipline. You know, that's like me. They say, well, we got to tear you down to build you up. Well, I tell you, I'd be like uh, dominoes. I'd be falling all over the place. (laughs) So it isn't for everyone, but it is a respect and it's a sacrifice. You know, it is a sacrifice. Um, It's a benefit, but it is a sacrifice too, because you're under... um, under the jurisdiction of someone else, your orders, you know, you have to show up. You There are certain things that you're going to want to do. There's certain things that you're not going to want to do. You know, it might be whole muster, whatever the situation may be, uh, stand watch. So those are different types of, um, of challenges that you run into, but you also name the rewards and the successes. Now create those parallels uh, <laughs> along the same lines with your coaching. You're you're dealing with a, you know, a mid-level executive woman that has the imposter syndrome. She's trying really hard to be something that she's not. What do you say to her? I say, first of all, girlfriend, good for you for showing up. And here's my take on imposter syndrome. The biggest imposter syndrome is when we hide who we are and quit being who we really are. Hmm. And so all the parallels of being in the military, here's the deal. And you're a businesswoman, April. You have a very successful business impacting tens of thousands of people in this world. Guess what? Just like what you said in the military, you have to show up. You have to be disciplined. You have to sometimes do the things that you don't want to do. I've been sick for over a week. We have a snowstorm this morning. And I got up at the crack of dawn and I got on the road early so I could go to a networking event. And then you got back to and got with me and you're still looking like brand new money. That's right. (laughs) Yes, I love you. I received that. 
Well, it's important though, like you said, you have to be able to forge ahead. You cannot stay stuck. We talked about mindset a while ago, but mindset is not where we are, Michelle. You know, it's about consciousness. It's about being aware and being able to receive endless possibilities, being uh, imaginative, being creative, uh, being progressive, being impacted and impactful, insightful, being an influencer, not just busy. You know, you were talking to some people, oh, I'm just so busy. Busy doing what? What are you doing? Well, that, you know, so you raise a really good point, April, that we are all operating from levels of awareness mm. based on the life we've lived up until now, the opportunities we've been exposed to. And the danger comes from when we start basing what we think we can do in the future based on what we've done up until now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And where we get stuck is in our thinking which does create the mindset. And for the controllers out there who wanna be in control, let me tell you, there are two things that you can control in your life. One is your thoughts, the thoughts that you're thinking, and two is the experience that you have. That's the only thing that we're in control of. Because we're the overseers of our life. Yes. We are the observers. Yes. You know, people want to dictate and they want it. Perfect example. You know, my parking space at, at the condo. My daughter <laughs> called me last night and she goes, well, she says, there's somebody here in our, our parking space. Well, you could have asked me, you know, but no, people just want to force themselves on you. They, like you say, want to be in control. They're always the aggressor. They're always so aggressive nowadays. They don't see the forest for the trees. They don't take a step back and take a breath. I'm really doing that a lot more now. You know, I could easily go from a flicker to a flame. But yeah. why do that? I miss an opportunity to really respond appropriately, correctly, and have the best result if I don't give myself time to slow down and process things. Don't you agree, Michelle? Oh my gosh, such, such a good awareness. And the reason that you're doing this, April, is because you have the awareness. And, and it's going back to earlier, some of the conversation that we were having about we are all performing, if you will, or practicing behaviors and patterns based on what we know. And so for me, my dad was narcissistic. He was authoritative. When my mom died young, I my mom was young, I was young. And I just didn't have healthy role models for relationships when I was growing up. However, the opportunity is that that doesn't absolve me of the responsibility to have a healthy relationship with my husband, right? Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity, here's the deal. When you're talking about people becoming aggressive or not slowing down or lashing out, there's a great concept in the book, A Course in Miracles, and it's this, that every act or behavior is a call for love or an expression of love, no matter how unskillful that may seem. And so when people are lashing out or they're angry or they're aggressive, they're simply practicing from the patterns and their perception 
of the life that they've lived up until now. And when people are busy, we avoid responsibility for ourselves, especially when we're so busy doing for everybody else, whether it's in our job, our families, et cetera. And we got to slow down back to your question about how do we begin to love ourselves? We got to first slow down and be willing to meet ourselves. And we can't do that when we're so busy taking care of the rest of the world. I know. I know because, but it's a lot to be uh, considered when you're taking care of your household, your relationship with your spouse, your children, your finance, your health, the economy, the television, yada, 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 yada. So when you start um, practicing neuro-linguistic programming, give us one or two great takeaways that we can incorporate, you know, as maybe a daily ritual, um, <laughs> to really kind of set ourselves on the trajectory to wellness. Yeah. So um, first I'm going to start with my definition of well-being mm. and well-being is actually being in alignment with your authentic self. So saying yes, when you want to say yes, saying no, when you want to say no, setting and enforcing boundaries. And so neuro-linguistic programming, as you said, we're always thinking and talking to ourselves. And so the neuro, what we practice over and over again, practice, some people think that practice makes perfect. Practice actually makes permanent. So whatever you're practicing over and over in your head and the, the behaviors, that becomes automatic. So the neuro is literally the neuro pathways the linguistic is the languaging, the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we allow other people to talk to ourselves. And programming is, NLP was developed in the 70s, and that's when computer programming was coming to, to fruition. So programming is just the apps, and we program ourselves. So a couple of things, right? We teach other people how to treat us. Uh, right? Girl, wait, I got a bell over here, and I have to ring it for that. You have to teach people how to treat you. Absolutely. And we, if we don't teach them how to treat us, we are still teaching them how to treat us. Absolutely. So you always say yes when you want to say no. If you're doing everything for your kids or your spouse or everybody else in this universe, and they'll keep asking you. So a couple of tips is, first of all, awareness. Simply notice what you're noticing about the things that you say to yourself and the stories that you're telling other people without judgment, just from a place of curiosity. So if you find yourself, for example, saying, well, it's going to be hard to change, or it's going to be hard to do that, or it's going to be hard or difficult to find time for me, our words are powerful. In the beginning was the word. And the word, what we put out will absolutely come back to us. Absolutely, like a boomerang. Exactly. So notice the common limiting language that you use and literally write it down on a piece of paper, put it on the left-hand side, and then on the right-hand side, write an empowering thought that you can replace that with. So for example, if you're somebody who says, oh my God, that's going to be hard or it's going to be difficult, an empowering thought that you can replace with that could be, 
If there was an easy way or a simple way, what would that be? Because the whole energy of that opens up to possibilities instead of the constrictedness of it's going to be difficult. Mm, mm, mm. You should have went on and got your PhD and just became a doctor. <laughs> no, I mean, really, because uh, you you know, you're, you're heavy enough to be a crane. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and I have a PhD in life, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So tell my brains how to get in contact with you, Michelle, um, because there's a conversation that needs to be had. Even if you think that you're at the top of your game, you know, what goes up must come down. Or if it doesn't come down, you need to be able to level off. And having that outside uh, consultation, not the noise, not the influence, but the consultation, that's a two-way conversation. That's something that you can engage in, that you can figure out who you are, and that you can have an objective um, <clears throat> response they're not going to necessarily always be on your side but they're not going to be the adversary and be against you tell them how to contact you michelle yeah so um the best way is to go to my website um michelle-fournier f-o-u-r-n-i-e-r.com uh you can email me at michelle at michelle-fournier.com and I'm on Facebook as well under the Fournier formula, F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R -E formula. Well, it definitely and seems like it's a recipe for success. <laughs> it really does. And I could talk to you for hours about that because you're very clear, you're very concise, but the most important thing is that you care. And thank you again for your dedication previously in the military, your dedication as a nurse, and just as a human being. Thank you so much, April. It's it's my pleasure and my honor to help people figure this out before they were 60 years old like I was. Well, and sometimes you get it when you get it, though. You, know. you always get it when you get it. And the timing is always perfect. And I promise you uh, that inside of each and every person, if you're listening to this, the bottom line is you have value in this world. You have value in this world. You're necessary. You're required. And you got to start by being willing to see that in yourself. So brains, go and get a mirror. <laughs> exactly. All right. So Thank you so here. much for being here with us on the edge. Brains, we need you to go in love, like, share, and subscribe. Love, like, share, and subscribe. Because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you can be so much more happier, so much more complete, and a whole lot clearer. Thank you, Michelle, for being here with me. You're adorable. Thank you, April. I received that back at you, sister. Right. Bye, brains. Bye, brains.